we're looking for this year, 2020, how can we live with confidence in God and comfort from God? So confidence and comfort both flowing from God. And so we're going to recap Daniel chapter one through chapters one through four. And what you're going to see is he's hitting the same note chapter by chapter by chapter. And it is that God is in control, but he's writing to a people who is in captivity. Things are not going well for God's people during this time. And what Daniel is saying is take comfort in knowing that God is working all things according to his plan. And what you place your confidence in determines what you do. For example, I have a daughter, Camden. She was the last one, so we'll use her as the example. Um, she had training wheels on her bike. Right. She had confidence in her training wheels. As long as the training wheels were on the bike, she could ride the bike. But it gets a little bit embarrassing when your older sisters are riding their bikes without training wheels and you are starting to get older. And so she's asking mom and dad, dad, can we take the training wheels off? Can we try? Of course. But she would not ride her bike without training wheels unless her mom or dad was holding her. So I remember at 9th District Elementary, I'm holding her and, and we're learning. She gets up speed, but she would lean on the bike like the training wheel would catch her. And you had to pick her up like, oh, hey, Camden, Camden, Camden. Right? This is not good. That's too much trust. You got to go a little faster. You got to be a little bit better balanced. And then she changed from confidence in her mom and dad being able to keep her up to confidence in her own ability in riding a bike. And she took off. But she would never have been able to ride the bike without training wheels and without mom and dad holding her up had she still only had confidence in the training wheels. And my fear is a lot of people go through life with confidence in a lot of things that will not suffice. God has called you to be his. He has a purpose and plan for your life. And it's bigger than your purpose and plans for your life. But the only way you will live today, tomorrow, this year, the rest of your lives for the glory of God is when you have confidence in God. So like Camden, being able to put some confidence in her own ability to ride a bike without training was what I'm asking us to do is to place our confidence in God so that we can be the people God has called us to. And we will look radically different when we find our confidence and our comfort in God. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to get to work. Father, thank you for gathering us here this day. Lord, I pray that this year is different. Father, I pray uh, that you show us what you want us to do and then help us walk obediently, faithfully to you. Father, you're an awesome God. And history proves that you are in control from beginning to end. You are working all things together for our good and your glory. So it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, if you go back to Daniel chapter 1, what you see, the question being asked, is God in control? Nebuchadnezzar comes to Judah. There's a king there who gets whooped in a war. And then Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, you guys are coming with me. He takes the best, the youngest, the brightest, and they go into exile. And Daniel, right off the bat in verse 2, says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, which was the king of God's people, 
who were living disobediently, running from God, forgetting God, had nothing to do with God. The Lord gave him into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. God used Nebuchadnezzar to discipline his people. That's what God does. God disciplines those he loves. He will not let you waste your life on things that don't matter. He'll draw you back to himself. And so you see right in verse 2, it's the Lord that gave Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. But then what about Daniel and his boys? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here they go into a foreign land. God was still in control even of their diets. So that he gave them favor in the sight of the guys that were over them. And then we see that God gives Daniel and his fellows wisdom and knowledge, learns the culture, and they rise in position. And that's Daniel chapter 1. And so the question that the people are asking that Daniel wrote to, is there still a God in Israel? Because if so, why are we here in Babylon? Where is God? And if you live long enough, sometimes you will ask that question. Why are things happening this way? Where is God? And what Daniel is saying in Daniel chapter 1 is God is still in control. He is at work. And then you get to Daniel chapter 2, and the question again becomes, is God in control? Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. Remember the big statue, right? This, this huge statue of gold and silver and bronze and iron and clay. And then there's this stone that smashes the statue and this stone becomes a mountain that covers the earth and nobody knows this dream. And he calls in his wise men and says, hey, I need you to tell me the dream and interpret it. And they can't do it. They know they can't do it. And so he says, you know what? Forget you guys. You're not worth it. I'm going to put you to death. And so he has them all put to death. They're getting ready. They're marching to the slaughter. And Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach are going to the slaughter. And Daniel talks to the executioner and says, hey, just tell the king to reserve a time and I'll come in and tell him what the dream is. Why? Because Daniel is confident in his God. And you see this in Daniel chapter 2, verse 23. It says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. And they run to God, and they know God will show up because they have confidence in God. That's who he is. That's what he does. They were not in the promised land anymore, but the God of the promised land is still the God in Babylon. And that's what they found to be true. God is faithful. God hears their prayer. He answers their prayer, gives Daniel the vision. And we see that the five different medals represents five different kingdoms. And we see that there's a kingdom coming whose king will know no end. It'll be an eternal reign. And obviously we see that with Christ, where the stone becomes a mountain and the kingdom never fades. And that is in Daniel chapter 2. It says, all human kingdoms will pass away, but the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break it into pieces, all these kingdoms, and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. This dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. There's a guy who is confident in God, is in control of history. And now here's the awesome part. Looking back, it's exactly as Daniel said it would be. Now, there's not much confidence in God when you're serving him and you're living in exile. And yet what Daniel saw was, no, God still has a plan. Do you believe God is in control? You're like, well, Ben, my life's in chaos. 
You don't know what's going on in my home. You don't know what's going on in my business. You don't know what's going on at school. I don't know where God is. Listen to the words of Daniel. He's in control. Then you get to Daniel chapter 3. <laughs> Starts getting hot. Nebuchadnezzar sees this dream and he says, you know what, Daniel, I don't like that interpretation. I'm the head. Uh, that's nice. My kingdom is pretty massive. It's pretty big. Because you know what, Daniel, I'm going to make a different statue. It's not going to be different metals. It's going to be one metal. It's going to be gold. And he sets up this golden statue, huge statue. And he strikes up the band and they start playing and everybody's supposed to bow down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to bow down. Why? Because their confidence is in God. They're saying God's in control, not Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar might have the power to build whatever he wants to, to put into law whatever he wants to, to put to death whoever he wants to, but ultimately he's not the one in control God is. And as a matter of fact, Nebuchadnezzar calls them in and says, hey, why aren't you bowing down? You must not hear the band. Band, hit it again. And they don't bow down. And do you hear their response to Nebuchadnezzar? Let me read it. Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. That's confidence. Our God can do this. It's not a hard thing for the God who created the sun to deliver us from a hot furnace. That is confidence. Do you have that confidence? But then look at their comfort. He goes on and says, But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I love that. Hey, this is what we're doing. You're not going to change how we are faithful to our God. Do you see how confidence and comfort mix right here? You, you see, for Camden, confidence is getting on the bike and taking off, and comfort is being able to get back up once you fall down. Confidence is uh, being willing to shoot the shot in a basketball game, and comfort is being able to get back up whether you make or you miss it. And so again and again, Daniel is hitting this Daniel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 3, and then you get to Daniel chapter 4, and Nebuchadnezzar goes crazy. Remember, he looks out and he sees the kingdom that he built and he's like, this is the massive Babylon. Hey, and, and Babylon was impressive. It was the world power at the time. It was an empire. Nobody was touching Babylon. And he looks out and he sees everything that's going on. And he goes, is this not massive Babylon, which I have created? And then God shows up. And Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind, goes out, starts eating grass in the field. Nails start growing long. Hair starts. He, he is humiliated out with the animals. And I want you to hear his conclusion in Daniel chapter 4. He starts talking of God and he says, God's dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. How does Nebuchadnezzar know that? God does whatever he wants with anybody. Because Nebuchadnezzar thought he was in control. And God reminded him, man, you're not in control. And then the conclusion in verse 36. At that same time, my reason returned to me. 
He was reestablished. Verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And so again and again, Daniel is striking this note. God is in control. God is in control. God is in control. God is in control. Then you get to Daniel chapter 5. Guess what note he hits? God is in control. So I'm going to set the, the stage for you. And, and listen, this is very, very important for our time. Um, Taj, you, were, you brought it up. I brought it up to Julianne, and she did not see this yet. How many of you guys have seen the hashtag World War III yet? All right? So World War III, right? It's trending on social media. This is a chaotic time in our nation. You talk about a divide. And I'm looking out at, uh, at basketball games. And, I, and I'm looking out at people and the national anthem comes on and we can't even agree what to do. Then you talk about a divide in the United States. You talk about a time when we desperately need to seek God and humble ourselves and, and worship him and, and trust in his control. Now is that time. And you have nation bombing nation. You have fear of retaliation. War and rumors of war. And it's easy to see. By January 3rd, it was already chaos. Is God in control? Does God care about me and where I live in Covington? What is God doing? This is for us today. Written hundreds of years ago for us today. We get to Daniel chapter 5 and check out this. Nebuchadnezzar is long gone. We're moving from the golden head to the silver chest and arms. Kingdom's getting ready to, to pass away. Nebuchadnezzar has died. It's been 23 years since he's been on the throne. Daniel is now in his 80s. And then we get a king throwing a party. Belshazzar is his name. Throws a massive party. Invites 1,000 of the who's who in his kingdom. Says, hey man, we're going to get down. Come on over. They start opening up the wine. They get out some of the special stuff. And then they bring out the vessels that Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple of God. When Nebuchadnezzar conquered Judah, he takes out the cups and the plates that's used in the temple to glorify and praise God with sacrifices. He takes them, puts them in the treasury of his gods. So it looks like the gods of Babylon are stronger than the God of Israel. And then his son says, you know what? Go get those golden vessels. We're going to do it right tonight. And they start drinking and partying, giving praises to the God of wood and silver and gold. And so the question is, and what the author's writing is, God, are you going to let this go on? Like this is in your face. Like some people will talk behind people's back, but then some people have the nerve to say it to your face. What these guys are doing is saying, there's no God in Israel. Look, we got his stuff. We'll drink to whatever we want to, to whoever we want to, and how much we want to. Will God show up? And then you get to verse 5 through 9, and yeah, God shows up. God shows up. Immediately, a hand appears and writes on the wall. So I want you to think, we're just sitting here chilling and talking. All of a sudden, this hand, nobody, starts writing on this wall a couple words. Problem is, it's not in English. It's not in a language you and I understand. We can't decipher it, but we know we're busted, right? That's what this king knew. He's like, crud, 
I didn't think their God would show up. But that doesn't look good. And this is the description of the king. His color changes. His thoughts alarm him. His limbs give way. His knees knock together. He's in front of the who's who, and my man's collapsing. He can't stand up anymore. He calls the wise men in, says, hey, man, I need some help. Can you help interpret this? All the guys that knew all the languages, none of them can help him. It is a hopeless situation. And then the queen speaks up. Queen comes in and says, hey, man, there's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And she goes, you remember your dad, Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah, he had him in charge of all of these wise men that can't do it. He's retired now. Go get him. He'll tell us what this means. And then this king, Belshazzar, calls him in. You talk about disrespect. He calls him in and he goes, hey, man, aren't you one of those exiles from Judah? The king reminds Daniel that, man, you're a nobody. I don't care what my dad thought of you. You're a nobody here. You're a captive from Judah. I don't care about you. Help me with this and I'll help your bum life. That's what the king is saying to Daniel. Right. And so he, he goes, hey, man, I've heard if you can interpret this wall. And then he goes, I'll clothe you with purple. I'll give you a chain of gold and I'll make you third in my kingdom. Right. No respect for Daniel. And then I love Daniel's response. You got nothing for me. You got Daniel says in. Verse 17, then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. You, you can't buy God. You can't buy his wisdom. You can't buy his peace. You can't buy his comfort. You got nothing for me. But I'll tell you this. This is what this says. He said, your days have been numbered and your kingdom's coming to an end. That's what the first word means. Numbered. It's over for you. That takes some guts. You think Daniel cares about this guy? I think he cares about him. I don't think he cares about his authority. I mean, my man's been through the ringer and he has seen the faithfulness of his God. Man, I've been in captivity most of my life. I've been in exile most of my life and God's been faithful to me. I don't care how this guy reacts, Belshazzar. He's going to be gone anyways. He says, hey, your, your days have been numbered. Not only that, your kingdom's going to be divided. You've been weighed in the balance and have been found wanting. Whew. That's some bad news. And that happened quickly, don't you think? You're throwing a massive party, showing how great you are. And then Daniel comes in and says, oh, hey, God's going to divide your kingdom tonight. It's coming to an end. You're done. Your kingdom's done. Just like that, one night. Like that escalated quickly. I think it's interesting. He brought up three charges. He said, you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. You brought out these vessels and used them for things that they weren't supposed to be used for. And, and we can look at them and we're like, yeah, you probably shouldn't have done that. You know, you were created for a purpose. You were created by God for his glory. Do you use your time for his glory? Use your body for his glory? Your mind for his glory? Because these guys thought they could shrug it off. It wasn't a big deal. And then he goes on to say, not only have you used these things for a way that doesn't honor God, you praise the gods of silver, gold, and bronze, and iron, which do not see or hear or know anything. And, and we do the same thing. Our, our gods aren't wooden images, but it's money, it's comfort, 
right? We want to live comfortable lives. We, we don't risk for the glory of God. And then he says, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all of your ways you have not honored. Whew. Daniel didn't mess around. I bet you the king respected him after that. And what happened is the king did. He gave him the robe and the gold and promoted him to third in the kingdom. But it didn't matter because that night the king was killed. And that night Darius the Mede received the kingdom. And you see a transition from the golden head to the silver. God is moving history along according to his plan. You see, Jesus had the same confidence in his father. You know, the stone that shattered all earthly kingdoms and is establishing an eternal kingdom. Jesus was on trial once. Did you know that? Jesus, the creator and sustainer of the universe, who holds everything together, was on trial once. And you want to know where he found his confidence? In his father's control. Pilate is questioning him and saying, hey, this is this. And Jesus isn't answering him. And Pilate's response to him in John 19, 10 says, So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? He said, Man, you must be crazy. You don't know who's talking to you. So Pilate reminds him, Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And that's a true statement. Pilate had done that to many people before Jesus. He can release or he can put them to death. And listen to Jesus' response. Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. You see, Jesus knows that ultimately his father is in control. And so when Jesus says, Hey, not my will, but your will be done in the garden, he understands that Pilate has no authority unless the father had given it to him. And so he trusts his father's plan. That's confidence. And that's also where comfort is found. So I want, I want to, to start applying this to us today. I think for some of us, God is distant. We may not know him. We want to know him. This is my challenge for you for today and the rest of your life. That you put your confidence in him. That you trust his word. That you trust his plan. That when things don't make sense, your confidence lies not in your circumstances, but in your creator. And when you go to the cross and you look at Jesus on the cross, nailed to the tree, giving up his life, buried, the disciples thought, man, this did not work out according to plan. And yet the father saying, no, this is exactly according to plan. And then three days later, Jesus bursts out of the ground. Because the grave couldn't hold him. That is a plan according to God. He's like, no, 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 no. Death doesn't have the final word. I have the final word. This is going exactly how I planned it. Can you imagine the parade Satan was putting on when Jesus gave up his life? Say, ha, got him. And God's like, ah, it's not over. That was just round one. And then Jesus comes back, and for 40 days, he's just chilling with his disciples. Then he ascends to the Father. And then we talked about this last week. He's coming back. He's coming back. We know how this thing ends. That should give us great confidence. 
And let that confidence burn in you a heart of obedience. Keep walking faithfully with your God, even when it's difficult. And then find comfort in your difficulty. And that's easy to say when things are good. Comfort's easy when, when you have money in your bank account and you're healthy. But I can promise you this, and what I've seen is comfort's available when life doesn't make sense. I've seen it in people dying of cancer, having comfort in knowing that God has a plan for them. That when my time here is done, it's not over. It's just round one. There's a comfort that God gives that cannot be explained. And so when God shows up and what Tracy read in Isaiah chapter 40, God's saying, hey, comfort, comfort my people. Comfort, comfort for my people. And then you want to know what he points to? He doesn't say how good it's going to go for him. You want to know what he points to? He says, hey, this is the God who you're worshiping. And he shows them how great he is. How the inhabitants of earth are like nothing before him. And he gives them a glimpse of his glory. And when you see the bigness of God, that brings you comfort. If you're getting in a fight, but you have somebody that can come to your aid that is much stronger and a better fighter than you, that gives you comfort. When you look up and you see God, no matter what this world throws at you, that brings you comfort. So we go back to training wheels with Camden. I let her go. She had all the confidence and I had zero comfort because I know what's going to happen. Right. Eventually, she's not going to make it. Well, I'll tell you what, she did. She made it, she made it, she made it. But then she got a little cocky. She sees this little drain pipe and she says, you know what? I think I can ramp that. And sure enough, she, goes, she gets a full head of speed. I'm like, Camden, okay, I'm like, surely she's going to turn, swerve. She's going to miss this thing. Nope. Boom. She hits that. I mean, she gets air time. But when she lands, the jerk turns her little steering and bam, there she goes down. And she just slides, Right. I had zero comfort in knowing that she was riding her bike. Now, Grant, she recovers. She gets back. She's tough. She gets back up. She's got a little blood on her hand. She dusts it off, gets back on her bike, and the handlebars are down. I have to fix that. And she gets back on and starts driving. Sometimes it doesn't seem like comfort's available. You know what? If you are looking for comfort in wrong things, you'll never, ever find comfort. We go on bus trips for our basketball team, and we have one bus driver. Uh, we've nicknamed her Break Check Betty. Thankfully, we did not have her this weekend. But, uh, but we, we go, and, and for some reason, stop signs feel like a challenge, right? She gets up to about 45, and then it's a sudden stop, and you look back, and you see guys just boom, hitting the seat in front of them. Things are, are falling. You're like, man, Betty, the, the, the brakes work on the bus. You want to know what you can't do? Think about anything else besides how we're driving this bus. You start talking to somebody, all of a sudden, boom, brakes, head start hitting the front seat. Like, oh, we gotta get rid of brake check Betty. This last week, you ain't kidding. This last week, we had two drivers, two of our best drivers. We go to South Oldham, hour and a half away, down and back. You wanna know what I didn't have to think about? The drive, right? I was able to talk and do some things, get ready for a game. I got to do a lot of reading on the bus, got to talk to a lot of our guys. Because I wasn't worried about the right. You, you see, what happens is life gets chaotic and we start to worry. There's so many things you can worry about. There's so many things you can worry about. You can worry about your health, your job, 
your money, your lack of money, your friends, your girlfriends, your boyfriends, your husbands, your wives, your marriage, your parents. I, and that's just a start. And what happens is when you start worrying, you start getting distracted from God. And so when God says, hey, comfort for my people, he says the reason why you can have comfort is because of my greatness. And when you get knocked down, you can get back up because I'm still with you. I'll help you up. We'll keep moving forward. Even if you go to the grave before you thought you were, I've got that covered too. Look at the cross. Now that's some comfort. And so when you see Daniel chapter 5, and you, you see that God is still moving and He's going doing exactly what He said He's going to do, that brings me great comfort today in a world where you don't know what tomorrow holds. I thought it was interesting in the Cold War, um, that was in like the, the 50s to even the 90s, Cold War. Um, a lot of times it was between the USSR and the United States and people found hope and something that I thought was very, very strange. People found hope and what an acronym named MAD. And what people would say is, you know what? The USSR won't bomb us and we probably won't blow up them because if we started that, both of us would be wiped out. Right. We have enough nuclear power to wipe each other off the map. And they had this thing, and, and I, mutually assured destruction is what people had hope in. Hey, we're safe because we could both blow each other up. Isn't that a terrible place to find your comfort? And the fact that knowing you could blow the earth up, there's a better place for your comfort. And Daniel is trying to tell his people in 500 B.C. And God is telling us today through Daniel that, hey, I'm still in control. I know how this thing's ending. You can find comfort in me. And so I want to close with this. Do we know that God is in control? And he answers, yes, he can bring down the most wicked king in one night. The greatest empire of the day, Babylon, in one night, gone. Because God says, nope, it's time to move on. Our God is in complete control of human history. And one day, He will destroy all human kingdoms, the gold, the silver, the iron, the clay, and will restore paradise on earth. Our God is in control. And my destiny, my family's destiny, the city's destiny, is in His almighty hands. And that is a comfort that will never end. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that as we approach this year, that we are confident in your ability to work things according to your plan. And I pray that we find comfort in that. So, Father, when things don't make sense to us, as oftentimes they do, when things go wrong here, as oftentimes they do, help us trust in you. Father, you're an awesome God. Lord, we love you. We praise you. I pray we walk with you and find our confidence and hope in only you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.